This is uh, J.D. Tolosic. I'm the Director of Cultural Programs at the National Academy of Sciences, and I'm here today with Mark Sloan, who is a photographer and the Director of the Halsey Institute of Contemporary Art at the College of Charleston School of Arts in South Carolina. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, J.D. Um, the selection of photographs that we are exhibiting is uh, from the book The Rarest of the Rare, Stories Behind the Treasures at the Harvard Museum of Natural History. Mark, could you tell us a little bit how this project came about? Sure. Well, I had an exhibition of my photographs in, at Boston University curated by the artist Rosamund Purcell um, of some of the work that I had done in back rooms of museums. Uh, Rosamund and I both uh, were friends and we've uh, we both work in museum the museum environment and uh, have long admired one another's work and she included my work in an exhibition uh, there at Boston University and recommended that I um, that the director of the Harvard Museum of Natural History come to the opening which he did and we had a conversation and the museum had been wanting to do something with their collection, wanted to produce some sort of book from their collection, but they didn't quite know how to go about doing it or how to really think about structuring something like that. They had a number of ideas, but nothing really concrete. And uh, I'd done a number of book projects, and, and uh, he had asked if I would be willing to come by and meet with him and uh, some of the other staff members uh, the next day, so I did. And we worked out a little plan where I would come by and do a week's worth of photographing of some of their more unusual specimens. And um, out of that grew this project, and um, we uh, partnered with a writer, Nancy Pick, who did an extraordinary job. Of um, so we we tried to create a book that was both show and tell in a sense. I mean, it's it's really just as basic as that. Right. Uh, we wanted to have uh, show uh, specimens from the collection that that highlight the you know magnificent range of things that they have there. Some of the most unusual and interesting specimens, but it also uh, not only visually we wanted there to be a great story behind it, and of right. course it the, underlies the you know the the collection of these things and some of the lives behind mm -hmm. um, the you know the the people who actually collected the specimens or did the research on it. Right. It, it, the writings that Nancy uh, did in your photographs, they do have a wonderful storytelling attribute. So how did, how did you approach that from a photographer's standpoint? Well, we, uh, Nancy and I, fortunately, um, had a wonderful collaborative relationship and that what we would do is we would both kind of lobby for, you know, certain kinds of things to be in the in the final project. We ended up doing, I mean, there were, we did treatments on many more objects than actually appear in the book mm -hmm. uh, as natural, but um, we really wanted to find a balance between uh, extraordinary visual uh, rendition and the extraordinary stories as well. Now, there were some things that were um, pretty fantastic story-wise, but that just could not, we couldn't figure out a way to make them visible, or that it really wasn't for a particular specimen per se or something. Uh, so in, we ended up not going with that. And likewise, there were some things that were... I felt spectacular visually that didn't make it into the book. Some of those are on display here in the in this show, but um, some of the armadillos, for example, didn't make it into the book. But we felt uh, we we had to have show and tell, and it has to be equally weighted between the two. So it was a constant conversation uh, between uh, Nancy and me, and so that's how it came about. It's always interesting, uh, especially within the cultural programs here at the NAS. 
uh, to think about bringing artwork into a science institution. Of course, this work is, is perfectly suited for it, but what other venues have you shown the work in, and how does it change in its feel as it moves from context to context? Well, in an art environment, it, it is, you know, as you might expect, more appreciated for the visual and the sort of formal aspects and the, you know, the color shape pattern uh, and the composition and that sort of thing. Uh, but this is actually the first time it's been shown, other than at the Museum of Natural History and um, at Harvard uh, in a science-based institution. So I'll be very curious to hear reactions today. Um, but it's, um, you know, I feel it's a, the nice thing about art and science is that they do share so many things in common. It's really about exploration, after all. Mm -hmm, absolutely. You mentioned uh, your friend uh, Rosamund Purcell, who is actually the first person who introduced me to your work and, and to the book when it had been completed. Um, she, of course, was um, the photographic partner of uh, Stephen Jay Gould, and they did uh, many collaborations together. So there's um, several artists, several photographers who are interested in the collecting practices of natural history museums. So there's Rosamund, but there's also Justin Cooper, who you and I both mutually know as well. Um, what do you think attracts photographers to that type of collection? What attracted you to that collection beyond you know the project? Right. I, I can speak about my own. I, it's hard for me to try to extrapolate to what others might think, but I, I've always been fascinated by this when I first learned that museums actually only display some very small fraction of the material that they actually own, uh, so the rest of it sits in storage in, in dark rooms and presumably archival uh, surroundings. And so uh, I became very interested actually in the late 80s in archives in particular. Uh, that, that's, that was my entree into the museum world, into the back room. Uh, I did a couple of books, uh, early books, uh, or early for me, rather, uh, on using archival photographs that have been uh, sequestered away in uh, musty collections. Uh, the first book I did was called Hoaxes, Humbugs, and Spectacles, um, uh, subtitled Astonishing Photographs of Smelt Wrestlers, Human Projectiles, Giant Hailstones, Animal Impersonators, and much, much more. And uh, the idea behind that was to look at the... Um, I tried to find photographs of individuals doing unusual things in front of a camera throughout the entire 150 year then uh, history of photography and I use that as an occasion to kind of take an idiosyncratic slice of the available images that were just sitting in archives that no one ever saw. And so by going in and looking at thousands and thousands and thousands of photographs, uh, my partners and I, Roger Manley and Michelle Van Paris and I, uh, went to over 100 photographic repositories in North America, all, all of the repositories having more than a million photographs, uh, all the large uh, state historical societies, for example, National Archives of Canada, uh, lots of them here in the D.C. area, and we looked for people doing unusual things in front of a camera. So it became an interesting quest, and we discovered just incredible riches uh, that are held behind these doors. And, of course, then uh, when I moved to Charleston in 1994, I teach a course in museum studies, and I led my students on a tour, a behind-the-scenes tour of the Charleston Museum in South Carolina, which is claims to be the oldest museum in North America. I believe it has some competition uh, for bragging rights from the um, Peabody Essex Museum. Uh, I'm not sure which one's older. I don't want to weigh in on that. It's 
political. Uh, but the Charleston Museum is an encyclopedic collection. It was started in the 1700s, and um, sea captains started it and bringing unusual specimens back. And when I went into the back rooms there with my students, I would see these absolutely phenomenal artifacts that were just not on display they were kind of haphazardly stored it's not hap- you know not unsafely but they were just you know uh, jumbled up against one another in storage and that became the uh, impetus for me to want to uh, try and bring new life to these objects that rarely see the light of day so I started rearranging them in ways and photographing them in unusual combinations and that started me thinking about this whole notion of really providing a viewer of my work with privileged access to uh, objects and images that they would otherwise not have an opportunity to see or to contemplate or to even know about you know so in a sense it becomes an education process of of letting people know what these things are that you know for example here's a really beautiful um, leech jar carved out of, out of an, uh, an elephant's tusk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to the fact, knowing about that is an interesting thing. And, right. of course, the history behind it is fascinating as well. So that really propelled me into this realm. And, and uh, Rosman Purcell and uh, a lot of these other artists have been working. And it's interesting, the artists that I know who are working in this realm, uh, each of us has a completely different approach. I mean, it, it just as, you know, wildlife photographers or, um, you know, people who photograph blast furnaces or, you know, it's like everyone has a different uh, approach and agenda in a sense behind it. So I wouldn't say that there's any sort of, um, not that you were suggesting, there's a unified movement of uh, oh, behind the scenes museum people. But uh, I do think it's interesting that um, so many of us have found the museum and, and all of its various uh, accoutrements as uh, being a, a worthy subject of, of exploration through photography. Right. So, I mean, you mentioned, of course, the point that it's it's an opportunity to share artifacts and the stories that are embedded in those artifacts uh, more so than the museum itself would be able to with limitations on uh, exhibition space. Uh, but I also think it's, a, especially uh, going back into the archives like you have, it's a wonderful opportunity uh, to think about uh, collecting practices and how they've changed uh, over the time. Uh, did you uh, notice uh, anything unusual when you were photographing that that, that kind of comes out in your in your work and in the book um, that sort of uh, comments about you know practices over time? Well, I, I don't I wouldn't say that there's any sort of uh, uh, in a sense a didactic overlay um, of, of a philosophical viewpoint on that, although you notice that in some of the photographs I have shown things that are, you know, it, it, it's almost shocking to see, for example, the Hyde Room uh, at the Harvard Museum where there are um, tigers and bears and you know leopards and all these skins of, of animals that we think are absolutely resplendent. And, but then to see their hides just hanging uh, jammed together uh, almost like a, uh, at a rummage sale exactly. uh, in, a, in a closet. Uh, is a little shocking to see, and it has to do with the methods of the museum and display. But it's these, this is really a study collection, uh, and it's not intended for the public to see. But I do think it's illuminating for people to know that this is how this stuff is stored, and you know this is where it is. And in fact, since the that photograph was taken, the Harvard Museum has completely redone 
the way they store and handle and uh, the hides. Yeah, was, so, was your work um, an impetus for that? No, okay. no, no. That was already Sorry. intended, and my work was actually. Uh, they they told me that that was going to be happening, but right. I wanted. It's it's really a 19th century methodology that they were right. using, exactly. and the Harvard Museum actually. That's a, that's an interesting point to explore. I would like to just at least mention that the Harvard Museum, in a sense, is a museum within a museum, mm-hmm. in the sense that it it. Um, there, the mammal hall, for example, is a 19th century relic. Uh, it, it's it's barely changed since the 19th century. I mean, they still have the same um, sea cow um, bones. They still have the same elephant. They still have the same giraffe. They still have a, a lot of the same specimens are on display there, and they're displayed in a similar uh, way that they were displayed in the 19th century. And so, in that sense, it's a it's a time capsule the, to the hall itself. The, the hall itself, itself, correct. And so, there are several photographs um, in the exhibition and in the book of that. So, I tried to preserve that moment for people who don't have an opportunity to see the Harvard Museum, or hopefully, it will drive them to it, but uh, to go and look. But the um, the point of, I think, in a sense, uh, natural history mu- museums in particular, and you know, with with all of the people, uh, Darwin and uh, 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 Agassi, and all these wonderful scientists who are affiliated with the Harvard Museum, uh, to have um, a museum that, in a sense, reflects that worldview of that, you know, where we were really on the cusp of so many things. Of of, you know, now we sort of take some of this stuff for granted. Evolution, you know, theory. Uh, um, you know, and the uh, classifications and all these things that have come now to be uh, a part of the scientific method were just being really formulated and codified in the 19th century. And I think museum collecting was coming into its own uh, in, in a certain way. And, of course, there was global travel where people were going to China to, you know, get uh, the remote mountains to collect uh, remote plant specimens and that sort of thing. So it became a real race, in a sense, to learn about the world. And there was a fever for that, and I, th- I hope the book carries some of that, and uh, I, certainly that museum for me, that one in particular, uh, is a particularly good example of a museum that um, is still existing and and still mining the discoveries that were made, you know, years and years back, through these same tried and true methods of, you know careful observation, uh, gathering materials, you know, noting where it came from, time of day, season, full moon, whatever. Uh, and to have all that information collected and collated in one place, I mean, it's, it's an invaluable asset. And I think, to me, museums are so important to preserve. Uh, I mean, even in the digital age, and we sort of think everything can be researched on the Internet. But, in fact, it requires uh, that the information be available uh, and exists somewhere for it to be digitized. So these museums are really great primary source material. Yeah. Source, uh, can, uh, can you talk facilities. a little more about that, the idea of the object and the importance of the object? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you are right. We are reaching that time where we can put a lot of information on the computer and convey it, uh, which is wonderful and should be done. But... You know the idea of going back and preserving the objects for for research for study. Uh, can you address that a little bit more? Sure. Well, I mean, it's a, the thing. <clears throat> there's a certain arrogance, in a sense, in in human uh, the the way we approach things. Some sometimes with um, while on the one hand we feel like we're uh, um, so savvy with technology and and all this, but in fact, it's just rare. We're just a uh, uh, plain bare observation can reveal 
certain things that you know uh, microscopic evaluation might miss, for example, or you know just looking at something. Uh, there are a number of specimens that I photographed. There's a um, the nose of the last I can't remember if it's a timber wolf or what the what the species is, but there's a wolf um, in there that's now extinct, and the last soft tissue uh, of that creature is still is in deep freeze it's in it's in storage at the harvard museum and they brought it out for me to photograph and um so here's something that is you know if if it would believe in jurassic park if that's a possibility you know the uh, fantasy of that where we could actually uh recreate the animal from its dna but we actually have that and, and here's a case where we could you know potentially reverse engineer in a sense these creatures that are now extinct uh and it's only because that information has been stored that that object rather has been stored and preserved and maintained and you know studied and all of that over time that we're now able to go back and look at that and, and so these kinds of things might be possible that's just an example and that's a um, but there may be many many other things that we can't even imagine that because we have the physical remnants of that uh, it could be very invaluable and it, whereas and, and the other thing is about you know well it's nice to have um, you know, uh, a, a nest of uh, turn eggs or something like that. But to have 200,000 of them is even better because you can then determine a lot about uh, diversity and, and, you know, all the, uh, the effects of pollution over time or the th thickness of the shells and variations and various things like that that you can only get through the, you know, vast accumulation. So there are certain things about this, and, and certainly it's not a... Um, a financially, um, you know, the financial model is not a very sustainable one in a sense because they have, I don't know how many millions of objects and, and uh, specimens they have at that museum, but it's extraordinarily expensive to maintain the facilities, the storage areas and staffing and all these things. It's a very expensive enterprise. And fortunately, Harvard uh, is one of those institutions that uh, is invested in preserving that sort of thing. Uh, and they, they're an institution that can afford to do that, at least for now. And uh, I think that's an extraordinary legacy, in a sense, to leave to future generations. Right. Wonderful. You had mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the staff at the museum bringing and helping uh, transport objects for you to photograph. So that must have been a pretty involved uh, situation requiring a lot of support from the staff in order to do this. Are there any interesting stories uh, that, that you care to share, challenges in photographing certain objects uh, that you might want to share? Well, sure. Well, it was it was really actually quite fun, and the museum uh, management, uh, the director's office, um, of course, the, the project was being driven from that level, so uh, we did have access to pretty much anything we wanted, and uh, the staff, uh, the entire staff, all the curatorial staff, all the um, collections managers were extremely helpful. Uh, we we asked them to nominate objects, uh, their favorite things in the building, uh, and of course, you know the the, the story of um, you know saying if you could run out of the build, if the building were on fire and you could take five things with you, what would you take and why? But we would. Um, it was. It was a bit like a military operation. Uh, I was set up in the mineralogy uh, area. They gave me some space in there to create a temporary photo studio, and it had wonderful natural light come in these big bank of windows on one wall. So I tried. I'd use natural light whenever possible, supplemented by um, by artificial light uh, that was daylight balanced and. Um, 
people would bring in their specimens and sometimes the specimens were incredibly valuable and the uh, for example the gold piece uh, I I can't remember how many millions of dollars it was valued at but it came from a vault and in uh, underground in uh, from a, a bank in Cambridge and they brought it in for me to photograph, and of course they were standing right there the whole time. Of course. Uh, the when I was photographing the elephant bird egg, which is believed to be one of the largest intact egg shells in the world, um, currently extant, and um, it's about 14 inches high, and uh, it had its own curator who came in with it and sat with it almost like a mother hen uh, while the egg was in our presence, although. When this person went to the restroom, I did have my assistant uh, pretend to flick the egg, and I took that photograph, which is in the show, but not in the book. Right. Is there a reason for that? Well, that was a little bit of my attitude towards the... uh, (laughs) I wanted to have a little fun with the idea of uh, the curator's uh, uh, watchful eye. Mm -hmm. You uh, used the word earlier, mining is in going into the um, to the collection and mining and i think that's um what is wonderful about this book is it does have that feeling of storytelling from uh within uh, a collection so thank you mark i appreciate so much you being here uh mark sloan's exhibition of photographs from the book the rarest of the rare stories behind the treasures of the harvard museum of natural history will be on display at the national academy of sciences through january 7th 2010 for more information about Mark and the exhibition, visit our website at www.cpnas.org.